Okay, today we're reading from Acts chapter 8, and we're starting on uh, verse 24. It says, Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter, uh, sorry, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting on his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? So Philip, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all towns until he reached Caesarea. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Lord, I thank you that while we were lost, you found us. When we were broken, you've made us whole. Lord, I just thank you that we can declare that Jesus is better. Better than anything this world can offer. You are better. You're the number one in our lives. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for a chance to gather. I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, through your word. And we pray this in the powerful, life-changing, transforming name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Jared, don't go anywhere, mate. Come here for a second. (laughs) Let's thank the worship team for today. Doing a great job. I'm going to ask Larissa to come up the front as well. Another one of those little impromptu things. Yesterday, Jared asked Larissa to marry him. She hasn't made up her mind yet. Thankfully, she said yes. So... These guys are getting married, not sure when, they haven't told me yet, but sometime. We'll let you know. We'll let us know. But yeah, it's great to uh, see such a great couple who love God, who are serving God with their lives, 
um, decide to make that commitment to go forward and to get married. So we're really excited to have the first marriage announced at Follow Baptist Church. So it's really great. So make sure you congratulate them afterwards. Shout them a sausage. <laughs> They're free. Just get them a sausage. And uh, yeah, say congratulations. So well done, guys. Good on you. I feel like I can just close in prayer after that. <laughs> Great news. Well, if you've missed our series so far, um, we're working our way through the book of Acts. And today is week seven, so we're around about the halfway point of this series. And I thought it would be a good chance just to do a little bit of a recap on some of the things that we've covered so far in this book. We're covering a number of different issues. Last week we looked at leadership, a couple of weeks before that we looked at community. Um, but the overarching theme of our series is that as God's people, we are called to be a people of God on mission. And as a church, we want to become a missional community that doesn't just look inside, but looks outside of the four walls of the church to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so in our series, um, every week except this week, our visual has been balloons. And usually I've got balloons on either side of me. Um, They're not up there today, but balloons have been the visual for this series And the idea is this, that when a balloon goes up into the air, it goes wherever the wind takes it. And as the people of God, we need to go wherever the Spirit leads us in mission in our everyday lives. And so at the start of the book of Acts, Jesus gives his followers this promise. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they currently lived, in Judea, a bit further out, in Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. And so the book of Acts is really broken down into three separate parts. From chapter 2 through to chapter 8, we see them being witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem where they lived. From chapters 8 through to chapter 12, we see them going a bit further as the gospel spreads to Judea and Samaria. And then from chapter 12 all the way through to chapter 28, we see them taking the gospel to the ends of the earth primarily through the missionary journeys of Paul and others. And so today we find ourselves at chapter 8. But up until this point, God's people have not moved from Jerusalem. They're still in their same geographical location. This is around about one to three years after the Holy Spirit had come at Pentecost to empower them, to take the message to the whole world. And yet one to three years later, they're still in Jerusalem. They haven't moved outside of their hometown. And I think to myself, why is it that that far down the track, they still haven't moved out with the commission that God has given them? And I actually believe this because they got very comfortable. They're comfortable in their own space, with their own people, in their own geographical location. And they hadn't actually stepped outside of that. You see, from the very start of Scripture, God's people, the main calling on our life is that we would be a blessing. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls a guy called Abram and he gives Abram these amazing promises. He says, I'm going to make your name great. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, the nation of Israel. He said, I'm going to bless you and anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Anyone who curses you, I will curse and you will be a blessing to all the nations on earth. But as we look through the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament up to this particular point, it becomes clear that uh, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, saw themselves as exclusively God's chosen people. In fact, anyone outside of Israel, they saw as 
unclean or unworthy or outside the heart and love and plans of God. But in the New Testament, we see a reaffirmation of the original calling on Abram's life. We know it as the Great Commission. It says that we're commanded to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and are teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And he said, And lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What we're seeing is a reaffirmation of the original calling given to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And what I want you to see in this passage today is that when we step out on this mission... When we stretch out to share the good news of the gospel, God goes with us. And the reason he goes with us is because it's not our mission, it's his mission. And he's given us power and he's given us authority and he says he will be with us because it's his mission to go and share the good news of Jesus. And yet in Acts chapter 8, these people had not budged from their hometown because they got too comfortable. And I think before we string them up, before we start to judge them and shake our finger, it's really important that we turn the mirror back on our own self because I think that we can relate to it. I think we find ourselves getting too comfortable at times. Just recently I um, reminded myself that we are creatures of comfort and I went out and I bought myself an egg chair. Now, if you don't know what an egg chair is, you have not lived. Uh, They are one of the greatest inventions of all time. They are basically a chair that looks like an egg. A uh, big wicker basket sort of thing with a big cushion in the middle and it's got like a curved support with a chain and the, the chair sort of just rocks and it's so comfortable and I absolutely love it. And so I've got this egg chair on my back deck and it's awesome but I've got to say it's also very dangerous because I now work half of my week from the home office and once I get in the egg chair, I don't ever get out again. It's like a mortgage, easy to get into, impossible to get out of. It's just like I'm in there and I'm stuck there. And my egg chair is in a spot that if I turn it around, I can see my TV. And I could open the sliding doors. I could crank up the TV. I could have a little table with a drink and food or perhaps Kim could bring it out for me. Um, when I wrote that, I thought she was going to be in kids' church, so I was very brave. Now I'm just very stupid because I won't get anything in the egg chair and I won't even get meals this week. So, But I could just sit myself in the egg chair, get comfortable and just relax and then just pray, God, when I get up on the weekend, please give me something to say because i just got to wing it. Been in the egg chair all week. <laughs> we love being comfortable. We like our couches. We like our TVs, our TV programs. We like doing very little. We love being comfortable. And sometimes that can be really good as long as it's in balance. We need to work hard and rest hard. We need to rest. And there's a Sabbath principle in the Word and you know all of that. And so rest is important. But the issue is that what we experience physically... I think we can also find ourselves experiencing spiritually where we just get comfortable where we are. I've met Christians over the years that seem to have a phobia of change. They don't want anything to change. don't want to leave my comfort zone. I just want to stay where it's safe. I just want to surround myself with Christian people where I'll never be challenged, where I'll never be stretched, where I'll never have to talk about my faith and I'll just stay in the little bubble where it's all safe. Well, guess what? The Christian life is very rarely comfortable. Very rarely comfortable. There is a cost to follow Christ. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. 
If you want to find your life, you'll lose it. You lose your life for me, you'll find it. There's a cost to following Jesus. It's called discipleship. And the Christian life is very rarely comfortable. I believe that God wants to be, us to be in that space that I would call the faith zone, where we're constantly stepping out where we're constantly trusting Him, where we're constantly relying on the Holy Spirit to work through our lives in extraordinary ways. God wants us to get out of the comfort zone in the place where we need to trust Him. Whether that's in church on a weekend, stepping out of our little friendship circles to embrace new people, people who are lonely, to make sure they feel the love of Christ, or maybe outside of church as we try and embrace people in our local community, as we step out and dare to believe that God will use us in conversations, in relationships, to bless people and to share the good news of the gospel. God wants us to keep moving, to keep stretching, to keep growing, to keep trusting that he will be with us from the word go. It's the name of our series, from the word go. Lord, help us to never be a church that's afraid to change. Lord, help us never to be a church that's afraid to grow. Lord, help us never to be a church that doesn't try new things for the gospel. Lord, help us to never be a church that gets too comfortable. So here we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8. And finally, we see in this chapter, God's people get on the move. They start moving to fulfill this great commission. But the thing is, they don't do it out of their own passion or desire. It's not like they wake up one morning and go, that's right, the great commission. Perhaps we should do that today. Now, the thing that gets them moving is actually persecution. Persecution comes against the church and it becomes the catalyst for amazing growth in the early church. Now, I look at the Western world and it just seems that we are so apathetic when it comes to our faith, so scared to step out, so comfortable in what we do. And then I look at other parts of the world, like over in the East, where persecution is incredible. And in those places, I see God doing amazing things. The faith is growing. People are coming to know the Lord. There's miracles occurring. And I think, why is that the case? And then I think about the people that find themselves in that situation and their faith is literally life or death. We wake up and we go, well, I go to church this morning. Eh, nah. Oh, should I share something at work? Eh, nah. These guys, they wake up and think, will I be killed today for my faith? May I be thrown in prison today? Will I be persecuted? Will I be oppressed? And the thing I love in those environments is that you see God move by the power of his Holy Spirit. People try and shut down the church. They try and kill the church. And yet it just keeps growing. It's unbreakable. It's unshakable. It's unstoppable. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That he will come upon us that we would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. I sometimes wonder what is going to shake us out of our apathy. Do we need to wait for persecution Or can we be the people that are so empowered by God, so passionate for Jesus, that we just go and share the gospel? Not because we're being persecuted, but because we love Jesus, that we're equipped by his word and that we're empowered by his spirit. Imagine an officer could be turned upside down by the power of God simply because a group of people were so in love with Jesus that they couldn't stop talking about him. I hope and pray that that's the church that we become. And so in the book of Acts, we see the catalyst for this gospel to spread is persecution. Now, in chapter 5, we didn't preach through chapter 5. You may notice that in this series, we're not preaching through every chapter. But if you're following the study guide, which you can get at the hub, it'll take you through the whole book of Acts throughout this series. And so when I talk about stuff that we haven't preached on, you'll know it because you read it during the week. And so Acts chapter 5, we didn't preach on. 
But in the chapter, chapter 5, we see that persecution actually began. We read that the high priests and the Sadducees, they were jealous of the apostles. So they threw them in prison. They laid hands on them, the word says. And then it says they planned to kill them. So at the end of chapter 5, God intervenes. And they're released from prison. And the chapter finishes like this. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And so we get to chapter 6. We preached on that last week. Talked about leadership. They appoint leadership. And then in chapter 7, we see that one of those leaders, a guy called Stephen, an incredible man, a powerhouse for the gospel, a man full of the Holy Spirit, a man full of wisdom, a man incredibly bold. And in chapter 7, he stands up and he preaches one of the most incredible sermons you'll ever hear. And he's preaching it to the religious leaders, God's chosen people. And he points out all the way through history, he gives them a history lesson. And he says, all throughout history, the gist of his message is this, you keep resisting the Holy Spirit. You resist the Holy Spirit. You resist the Holy Spirit. You resist the Holy Spirit. God sends his prophets. You persecute them. You persecute them. You persecute them. Then he sent his own son and you killed him. And then the last thing he says in the sermon is, you stiff-necked people, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And so just to prove him right, they drag him out of the city and they stone him to death. And as they're killing him, he lifts his hands and he says, Father, forgive them for they know and know what they're doing. Incredible. Following in the footsteps of his saviour, Jesus. Incredible forgiveness. Chapter 8, the very start, we read the first verse. It says, And Saul, the man who soon becomes the Apostle Paul, it says, Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. Saul's on a rampage. He's going from house to house trying to kill Christians, persecute Christians. And we're going to read in the following weeks what God does in his life. But him overseeing the death of Stephen is what launches chapter 8, which we're up to today. And in chapter 8, we're introduced to another one of the leaders that was appointed in Acts chapter 6. His name's Philip. And Philip is one of the Christians who has been scattered as a result of the persecution. In verse 4, it says that these people that were scattered were empowered by the Spirit and they preached the gospel wherever they went. It's like a bomb had gone off and they'd just been scattered everywhere. But everywhere they went, these people were trying to shut down Christianity, but it just kept spreading. Because everyone who was scattered through persecution just couldn't help but keep talking about Jesus. Incredible stuff. At the start of Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip in Samaria. The gospel spreading. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. They've made their way to Samaria. And there's some unbelievable stuff happening. When you read the start of the chapter, there is people being delivered from evil spirits, people being healed, people accepting Christ, people being baptised, lives being transformed. And it says there was incredible joy, great joy in the city. Now, for any one of us as Christians, this would be a dream come true, to be in the middle of something where God is using you in extraordinary ways. And every day you're seeing people come to know Christ. Every day you're seeing the miraculous. I mean, we all dream about being used by God to see lives transformed. And Philip finds himself here at Samaria in the middle of an incredible revival. And I reckon it would be very easy for Philip to think to himself, you know what, I'm just going to put my roots down here. God's using me here. 
I can just settle into the success of ministry and, and I can just live my life in Samaria being a hero of the faith and seeing God do miraculous things. But in the midst of what looks like a revival, God asks him to do something. What does he ask him to do? He asks him to once again go. Go. He says, leave Samaria, verse 26, and go down a desert road from Samaria to Gaza. So let's get a little bit of a picture of what's happening here. Philip is in the middle of a revival, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people being transformed and God says, I want you to go. I want you to leave that and I want you to go down to a desert road in the middle of nowhere. You know, sometimes when God asks us to do things, he doesn't tell us where we're going beforehand. And sometimes it doesn't seem to make sense. The Bible calls it faith. God asks us to be people who step out in faith and sometimes that faith is blind because we don't know where we're going. A moment ago I talked about Abram in Genesis and all these amazing promises that God gave him. But prior to the promises, he says these words. He says, Abram, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your father's household. And then he says something extraordinary. He says, and go to a land I will show you. It's not like he was living in a shack and he got out the real estate magazine and here's a house in Turak, which is three stories with Ferraris in the garage and a pool and a tennis court. And he says, hey, Abram, why don't you leave the shack and here's the house I'm going to give you. So, so come here and you'll be much better off. No, he does the opposite. He says, Abram, I want you to leave absolutely everything and go to a land that I will show you. It's a step of faith. In late 2011, in September, I was five and a half years into a role on staff at Bayside Church, where Chris and Celia are from. And when I started there, there were around about 300 people attending that church. And by the time I left, there was over five times that amount of people. And it had been an extraordinary season of growth. It was my first role in paid ministry. And in many ways, it was a dream come true. Met some great people, led a young adult community that grew in incredible ways. I had the privilege of leading some of those young adults to the Lord. I had the privilege of baptising many of them. I had the privilege of doing some of their weddings. And so it was a fantastic journey with a group of people that I loved in a very deep way as we journeyed through the ups and downs of life. I had many opportunities while I was there to preach, to lead, to pioneer missions trips. And it was a great time in my life in many ways. And in many ways, it would have been very easy just to stay there, to put roots down, to stay there. But at the end of 2011, Kim and I sensed that God was asking us to go. He was telling us that it's the end of a season. And I had nothing to go to. Hadn't heard about any other ministry positions, hadn't talked to anyone else about any other roles, didn't even know if I'd get another role anywhere. And yet we felt like God was asking us to step out. It was a difficult time in our lives for many different reasons. But after a short season, I said to Kim, I feel that we're called to ministry. And so we just need to follow God and pursue God. And so we started looking at a variety of different roles. A couple of people came and spoke to us about different roles that were going on in, in our area. We really didn't want to leave where we were living. Um, our kids were in school. They had friends. It was you know, safe. It was familiar. We didn't want to go. And so we were looking at all these different roles and we're looking at roles and it's maybe, 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 Beaconsfield too far away, maybe, maybe, maybe Beaconsfield too far away. I don't even know where Beaconsfield was. I thought it was a place where you fall down mines and I was pretty sure that was in Tasmania, you know, and I didn't know where Beaconsfield was but God kept opening the door for us to move to Beaconsfield and so we packed up our home, 
and we moved out to Pakenham and we started in a role as an associate at Beaconsfield Baptist. Now, I still didn't really know where Beaconsfield was. I found out that it was near Pakenham and my granddad lived in Pakenham, so I knew where that was, but that was like a day trip. You know, we'd pack the tent to go to Pakenham. I'd sort of tell people, we're going to Pakenham just in case we got lost and never found our way back. I mean, it was, I thought to myself, God, you've literally done it. You have taken us to the ends of the earth. We've arrived. We're in Pakenham, everyone. We made it. Journey's over. And we came to Beaconsfield Baptist. And we were there for three and a half years. And I felt like God used us there in different ways. And I believe God had us there for that season. But as we settled into Beaconsfield, we found out that Beaconsfield had a heart for church planting. And as time went on, it became more and more clear to us and to the leadership that God was calling Kim and I to step out and go once again. And we believe now that God's placed us here. And God willing, we want to be here long term in this community because we believe God is going to use us as a church community to be a blessing to this local community. And so we see what God has been doing now. But when I left Bayside, I couldn't see Follow Church. But I can see it now. And you see, God asks us to step out and go to a place that he will show us. But often, it's a big step of faith because we don't know where we're going. And sometimes it's in the big things in life. But sometimes it's just in the small things of life, day after day. Like stepping out to have a conversation with someone about our faith. This is the thing I love about Acts chapter 8. You see the big step and you see the small step. You see Philip step out, this big step to leave the revival in Samaria where there are hundreds of thousands of people to go down an isolated road where God had a divine appointment for him to meet one person. Don't you love the way that God loves the ones? Jesus says, if you've got a hundred sheep, one goes and gets lost, leave the 99 and go and find that one sheep that was lost. I love the fact that God knows us each personally. And he loves each of us. It's not like we're just one in a crowd. It's not like God goes, well, that's the follow crowd. No, no, he knows you. He knows Jared. He knows me. He knows Hannah. He knows each of us by name. And he loves the individual just as much as he loves the community. I love that about God. And so here is Philip going down this dusty road, this isolated road. And in verse 7, it shows us that he had a divine appointment. And it tells us who he met. It says, so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candate, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. The fact that this man had a chariot shows us that he was very high up in his society. He was important and influential in his culture. And in this encounter on an isolated, dusty road, this man comes to know the Lord. He's baptised. And then it says, Philip just disappeared. You know, I love how God places us in people's lives for a journey at times. There's people in our life that we journey with over the long periods. But there's sometimes times where God places us in the lives of people for a short moment, for an encounter that can often have eternal results. A couple of weeks ago, I got a Celia, uh, an email from Celia to talk about the kazoos and coming out here. And she started the email by saying, Hi Luke, it's Celia. Um, I don't know if you remember me, we're from the Kazoos. And then she said, we certainly remember you because the first night we came to church, you were preaching. And my husband, Chris, accepted Christ for the first time. And now we run pre-evangelistic concerts for local churches. And I was absolutely blown away because I didn't even know that. 
I didn't know Chris and Celia for very long before God moved us on from Bayside, but God placed us there for a brief moment in their life and it had an eternal impact, not just for them, but Chris was telling me before the service, as a result of his testimony, other people have come to know the Lord. And so it's amazing how God often places us in people's lives for a brief moment, but it can have eternal consequences. In this account, Philip was used for a brief moment in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch but it had an eternal impact on his life and no doubt on the lives of many others as he went back into his culture. Scholars believe this is the first Gentile or non-Jewish Christian that was converted to Christianity. And so through this one conversation on a lonely, isolated road, the call of God and the mission of God is cracked open to the Gentile people because of what Philip did. And so today I want to finish this sermon by showing you three things that I think are very practical for us as we seek to be people on mission. And the very practical things that we need to remember as we become those people where the Spirit leads us every day. And the first thing I think we can learn from Philip is this, that we need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Three times in the passage, the Spirit of God or the leading of God is mentioned. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Verse 27, this Ethiopian man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Verse 39, at the end of account, after this man had been baptised, it says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly led Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again but went on his way rejoicing. You see, this man who was filled with the Holy Spirit was listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Philip to the right place. The Holy Spirit led Philip to the right person. The Holy Spirit gave Philip the right words to say. The Holy Spirit told him when to move on again. Philip is completely reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit in his life and in this situation. And I want to say, church, we need to be the same as well. Because evangelism can be scary, but we can be guaranteed that God is with us, that we are filled with the Spirit. Jesus said, don't worry about the words to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. We need to be filled every day, every day, reliant on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you fill us today? Would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us boldness? Would you give us power? And we are promised that when we ask, we will be filled again. Jesus said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If we want to be empowered for mission, we simply need to ask every day that He would fill us with His Holy Spirit, that our eyes would be open to the opportunities that would come. And so the first step He took was to listen to the Holy Spirit. The second step is the much harder one. It was to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit, be obedient to the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that we can all remember situations in our lives when we've listened to the Spirit. We've felt the nudge. You know, the heart starts beating quicker. We sense there's an opportunity to stand up for what we believe in, to share our faith, to be a blessing, to ask a question. And the heart starts to beat and we think, here's the opportunity. We're hearing the Spirit and we go, I'm about to step out. Nah. Nah. It's not right. If it's a couple of degrees warmer, I'd do it. I just felt better today. If my mum hadn't yelled at me this morning, I'd do it. What if they say something about me? What if they don't like me anymore? 
And in that moment, we're sensing a nudging and we're listening to the Spirit, but instead of being obedient and stepping out, we're shrinking back and we're missing kingdom opportunities. Philip was obedient. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south down the road. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 28, on his way home, the same man was sitting in the chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot. I love that, enthusiastic to be obedient. He's heard the prompting, he runs to the chariot. Obedience. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Philip listened to the Spirit. Philip was obedient to the Spirit. And let me finish with one more practical thing today. If we're going to be people who are on mission, we need to be people who have conversations. I love that Philip finds himself in a conversation. See, if we want to impact people's lives, we actually need to be in people's lives. And it's so often conversations which are the access door into people's lives. And I believe conversations in the hand of God can be transformation in the heart of people. Conversations in the hand of God can be transformation in the hearts of people. You know, missional thinkers talk about finding in our lives people of peace. People of peace are pre-Christian people, but they're open to Christianity. It's kind of people that are curious. Philip found a person of peace in this particular account. He had the scroll of Isaiah open. Now, you're not going to see that in the cafe this week. It's not going to be someone rolling in a scroll going, oh, I wonder what Isaiah is saying in this passage. That just doesn't happen. But you will have people in your life who you know are open and curious. And so it's about asking God, listening to the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being obedient to the Holy Spirit when those opportunities come to start a conversation. And as Philip started a conversation, he found in that moment he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, if Philip had stayed in the comfort zone in Samaria, he never would have met that man. But he didn't stay there. He stepped out. He was obedient. He started a conversation. And God is calling us as a group of people to step out of the comfort zone, to get out of the bubble, to find people, to bless people, to be in their spaces to build relationships, to listen, to hear their stories, to have conversations. And as we do, we may just be surprised about what God will do. Philip listened. And as he listened, he asked one simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? The man said, well, how can I unless someone else explains it? And that's a good question. How will people know about Jesus unless someone tells them? In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so from one passage in the Old Testament, let me just make it clear, all the scriptures about Jesus. It's not the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. The whole thing points to Jesus. It's all talking about him. And in this passage that he read, he reads about a lamb that was led to the slaughter a person who sacrificed his life and he takes him from that scripture and he points him back to Jesus as the man that Isaiah is talking about, the saviour of the world, the one who died on the cross in your place and in mine. 
The one who said, you know what? You've made mistakes. You've failed. You've rebelled against God. But let me take your sin upon myself. And as he stretched out his hands, he said, it's finished. And in Jesus, we have hope for eternal life. We have forgiveness of our sins. We have amazing, abundant joy in him. And so from this one passage, he pointed him to Jesus. But it all started with a conversation and asking one simple question. We never know what will happen when we ask questions. When opportunities come up, when someone says things like, you know, they they bag out Christianity or they talk about God. So ask a simple question like, what are your thoughts on God? Who knows where God will take that question? When someone says, I've had a boring weekend, just saying, why don't I pick you up next week and bring you to church? I was surprised going through the membership applications this week. How many people are now in the kingdom of God because someone simply asked, why don't you come to church? Simple question that opened up the door for eternity in their lives. When people are struggling, questions like, how can I help you? What do you need? Those sort of questions can give us access into people's lives to see them absolutely transformed. And so as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we obey the Holy Spirit, as we start conversations, God will empower us to step out of our comfort zones, to step into the lives of people, and to go where the Spirit leads us on mission in our everyday lives. Let's pray. Lord God, you're incredible. We thank you for your word that it's just so challenging and it's never really comfortable when we read it. It reminds us about our salvation and the security we have in that, but it reminds us that we are people on mission and we are incredibly blessed to be saved. We've come to know Jesus We know that he's in our life. We know that we have hope, but yet we're surrounded by people who don't. Lord, I pray that we'd never get too comfortable, that we just surround ourselves with each other and we'd never look for those opportunities. Lord, I pray that we would be spirit-led people, knowing that as we step out on mission, you go before us and you go with us. You give us power to be your witnesses. And Lord, I thank you for the gospel message. Just thank you for what we've sung about today, that it is amazing grace, that our lives have been changed. And I just pray for any person here today that has never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Lord, I pray through your Holy Spirit that today you'd be speaking to them, that they would realise that no matter how good we think we are, no matter how bad we think we are, we've all got something in common and that is that we need a Saviour. Because even the best people fall short of the glory of God because God's standards perfection. And by ourselves, it doesn't matter how many good things we do, we can never come back into relationship with God. We're lost. But God stepped into the darkness and he sent his son Jesus who died in our place. And when we accept what he did, our sins are placed on him. The obstacle of sin that separates us from God is removed and we can come back into relationship with him, not because we've done anything right, but because Jesus, the perfect son of God, took the punishment we deserve and when we accept what he did we don't have to pay that price ourselves so while every head is bowed and every eye is closed here this morning I don't know where everyone stands here with God and there's no one looking around today but I want to give you opportunity you've just heard the gospel message it's incredible it seems so good it seems too good to be true but it's true if you're here today And you don't know that you're going to spend eternity with God because you haven't accepted his son, Jesus. I want to tell you today that he took your punishment. He took mine. And he said, it's finished. 
And so if you're here today and you want to ask Jesus into your life for the first time, while no one else is looking around, I'm just going to encourage you now to lift your hand. This could be the start of the most amazing journey you could ever have. It won't be easy. It won't be comfortable. But you will know that God is with you. So I'm just going to give you that opportunity right now. If that's you, just to lift your hand and say, look, that's me. I want to know that saviour. I want to be in that relationship. Is there anyone here today in that position? Lord, I just thank you for that challenge. And I just pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord, that you would keep speaking to them, that they would call out to you and that you would reveal yourself to them in life-changing ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.